Well, I married a blonde. Uh, don't tell my wife I told you that joke. No, you're not. You're going to forget by the weekend. Tonight, we welcome Scott Meyer from the Western Hills Church of Christ in Temple, Texas. Scott is a graduate from ACU. He graduated with a bachelor's and a master's from there. And he has been a youth minister before he moved into preaching like all smart men have done. Several years ago, he, um, so he's been there for several years. Uh, he is married to Erica. He has three beautiful children. And he comes here tonight to speak on the friend out of Luke chapter 11. So Scott, I give it to you. I don't know what to say after a blonde joke. I'm going to move this out of my way. Is that okay? Um, as, uh, as Doug said, uh, I, I hail now from, from Temple, Texas. I've been with you guys before. In fact, I think this is my third time. Uh, does anybody remember me speaking before? <laughs> hey, I'm just thrilled you came back. Um, uh, I have a special connection with you guys. One of the ways I have a connection is through Doug, because Doug's father, who you guys are praying for right now, is part of my church, and is one of the most encouraging men that I know. In fact, he's no longer physically able, up until very recently, he was there every single Sunday, and every Sunday he would come up and he'd shake my hand and he said, son, if you keep practicing, you're going to be okay at this someday. So I, I, I have a special affection for you. One, it, isn't it great to be surrounded by Christians and primarily Spurs fans? So uh, I love that because where I come from, it's not always the number one team of choice. My wife is from San Antonio, so it's definitely the team of choice in our household. Uh, it's not a mixed marriage. It is uh, Spurs all the way uh, for us. And so I'm thrilled to be here. Doug gave me... Uh, this chapter, this story, as you guys are looking at these different stories by, by Jesus. And first of all, I love a story by Jesus because Jesus is a master storyteller. And let me do a quick commercial for next week because I saw the lineup. And one, it's just kind of flattering to be in the same lineup that you guys are having this summer because it's an all-star lineup except for tonight. And next week is Jerry Taylor. Don't miss now, if you need to leave now to go get something done so you can be here next week, <laughs> you do that, and then you send me a thank you email, because I promise you that will be worth coming out for. Um, but I love the idea that you're doing this summer about Jesus telling stories, because we get caught up in stories, don't we? I grew up in the, uh, the 80s, and there was a... Uh, the Navy, during the 80s, released a recruiting film. Maybe you heard of it. It was called Top Gun. And the, the way this film worked is, I was about 14 when this came out, and I walked into the theater not knowing hardly anything about naval aviation, but I walked out pretty sure there was an F-14 Tomcat waiting for me that I would be able to fly that thing because I saw that story play out, and I got, what happened? I got caught up in the story. Now, my favorite getting caught up in the story came when the Star Wars prequels came out. And I know and now we live in a world with, you know, The Force Awakens has come out, thank goodness, because the prequels weren't, you know, that great. But everybody that did go see the prequels, they went to see for one reason. You saw the prequels. 
you went to see because you were waiting for that moment that Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. Now, I hope I didn't spoil it for anybody, but um, Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader, and you had to wait through three movies that weren't that good to get to this point. So, but I'm, I'm a fan, so I went with my buddies when it came out. We went to a theater near our town. And in fact, we went to like a, a showing during the day because my family was all off, you know, my kids were in school, my wife was teaching, but me and my office buddies there, my fellow ministers, we went to the, the prequel and, and we're sitting in the theater and comes the, the key shot, okay, that moment that we've all been waiting for where Anakin Skywalker is going to don the mask for the very first time. And you're going to hear that, you know, that breathing, you know. I mean, we, we've paid for three movies just to see this moment. It's going to be worth it. Next to us, as the mask on the screen is being lowered onto the actor that's playing Anakin Skywalker, as that mask is being lowered onto, we realize that the people next to us, it was, I don't know if they're husband and wife, if they're not husband and wife, they need to be because they're perfect for each other. They both had Darth Vader mask. Okay, and clearly this was not their first time to see the movie because with the same timing, they are lowering those masks onto their heads. We stop watching the screen. We're now watching this couple right next to us because they've come out of some Comic Con somewhere. <laughs> and as he is, that whole part completes. We're just kind of eyes wide open. They reach under their chairs again and they pull out red lightsabers and light them up. <laughs> See, I think you can say that they were what caught up in the story. And Jesus, as the master storyteller, he doesn't just give us a list of do's and don'ts. He just doesn't give us a check this off, do this. It's not just a simple recipe. But he tells these stories because we're to get ourselves caught up in and find the story. And you realize, even from a young age, your entire Bible is a story. Now, there's different parts, there's different type of literature in there, but it's essentially telling the love story of God with his creation. And there's drama in it, and there's loss, and there's distance, and there's reconciliation, and there's a rescue, and all this goes into this incredible story. And so we come to the story that we find in Luke chapter 11. And if you have a Bible or you have an app, uh, I want you to open that up. We're going to get there in just a second. But I want to throw a question out to you as we begin. And my question is this. I'll put it up here. Who taught you how to pray? And here's what I want you to do right now. If you've got the little handout that I provided or a bank deposit note or anybody still uses those, I don't know, find a scrap piece of paper and I want you to write down the answer to this or make a note in your phone, however. Who taught you how to pray? Who's that person that came alongside you and, and began to model it for you, show you how it is? In fact, I'm going to ask you, if that person's not living right now, then I'd like you to think of who's a person that models prayer for you now. And you may not even consider yourself a praying person, but somebody jumps out in your name, or in your, in your, a name jumps out in your head when I say, who taught you to pray? And I'm going to ask you to do something with that when we get to the end. But I want to talk about prayer tonight, because that's the story that we have. 
And prayer is a very delicate thing to talk about because, and I want us to be very careful as believers how we talk about prayer, because there's a phrase that goes around, and I'll see it on Facebook, and I'll see it in different conversations, or I hear it in different conversations, and it's supposed to be an encouraging phrase, and it says, the phrase is this, prayer works. Now, I do not disagree with that, but I do think we have to be very careful with what we mean by that. At my church, several years ago, a man a few years younger than me had a kid, his oldest son was good friends with my oldest son, came down with melanoma. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed for healing. And when I did his funeral, it was one of the largest funerals that we had seen in the history of my church. It was because he had grown up in the area and he had connections well beyond just our church. We filled the sanctuary, we filled the foyer, we filled the overflow room. People were just standing literally on the furniture just to be in the room. And I opened that funeral with this phrase. I said, we are not here today because we didn't pray hard enough. We're not here today because we didn't offer just one more prayer, and that's what God was waiting for. Because I needed my son and everybody else that had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed to understand that God wasn't in heaven waiting saying, just give me one more. Just give me, if you'll jump just a little bit higher, then I'll respond. So I want us to be very careful when we say prayer works. And I'm going to walk us through this story, but sometimes our prayers don't feel like they work, do they? Have you ever had a season in your life where you're praying the prayer and it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere? Let me show you this picture. This is a telegram, and if you can read it, I know it's real faint, but this telegram was sent from a boat called the Titanic. Now, before it was a movie, it was a boat. Okay? They ended the same way, by the way. And I hope I'm not spoiling movies for you all over the place tonight, but the boat sinks. This telegram, if you can see it, it says, We struck icebergs sinking fast. Come to our assistance. This telegram was not, dis- was not discovered until 100 years later in the offices of the, of the uh, White Star um, Cruise Lines. You ever have prayers you feel like that? I'm praying, and they're just bouncing off the ceiling. I'm praying, but God must not be listening. Now, I go to church, and I see other people, and they seem to get their prayers answered, but mine are going unanswered, and I wonder if God's even listening, and I'm just getting tired. And I'm just getting worn out. I've had seasons like this. Since the last time that we were together and I had a chance to be here, this past March, on March 4th, I got a phone call. My mom, who has always been in incredible health, my dad's on the phone saying that mom fell over and she can't breathe, and they rushed her to the hospital. So I spend the next hour waiting for the phone call that I was pretty sure was going to come, where dad calls me and says, hey, everything's good now, 
just want you to know, you know, they've got her, you know, they adjusted medication or something, we're fine. The next phone call I received was from my brother, who's a doctor. He says, Scott, this is serious. So we went through the effort of gathering up my family, and we rushed to a ICU waiting room in Fort Worth where my parents were living. And we began to pray. And we began to pray, and she had suffered a pulmonary embolism, which basically means a clot from the lung cut off oxygen to the brain. And for all practical purposes, my mom died on March 4th. Now, we sustained life support for the next uh, four days, trying to give her a chance, praying for the miracle, but we prayed and we prayed and we prayed, and still we had a funeral. So what I'm talking about is not some formula that if we'll just insert the right numbers in the right order and turn the crank the right way, God's a big vending machine and he's going to roll out the soda of our choice. Because that's not the God we serve. And that's not the God that Jesus gives us in this picture that we're about to read, but it's really easy to think that's the God because we're so conditioned to want to see all of our requests gathered. So if you've got your Bibles or got your app open, I want to actually cheat a little bit. Doug gave me the story that begins in verse 5, but I cannot get to that story without going through 1 through 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, okay, I want to pause as we go through this. There is something about what Jesus is doing that's so striking to the disciples that they ask a question. And quite frankly, the question that they ask is actually a very remarkable question. Here's their question. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, if you asked me how to pray, my response would be, oh, come on, it's just prayer. You're good Jewish boys. You've been doing this your whole life. You know how to pray. You just talk to God. It's just a conversation with God. But the fact that they ask, they see something different in what Jesus is doing that has them interested. It's got their attention. There's something captivating about it. And so they're compelled to ask him, would you teach us to do what it is that you're doing? There's a different kind of connection that we see going on. Will you teach that to us? And what's incredible is that Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, it's just prayer, you'll get good at it. He says, yes. And he teaches them this prayer. Here's what he says. When you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, for many of us, those are very familiar words. In fact, this has been a prayer of the believing community since the beginning now. This has been one that we've shared in. And this comes out of the mouth of Jesus. And so what i like to do is i like for you and I to participate together in this, this prayer. And then we're going to go in and learn some things about it. But if you would, read this with me. I, I believe it's printed on the, uh, the sheets. If you've got your app open, I'm going to be reading from the NIV uh, version. So if you would, let's read all this together. I'll start and you just jump in with me and we'll read this together. And this is the prayer that ties us all the way back into Jesus as his words. Let's begin. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. I want to pick out five words that I think help us to understand this. The disciples have come to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus begins this way. And here's the first word. If you want to write this down, if you want to highlight them. Oh, I'm sorry, let me do this first. This is, a, this is my favorite quote from N.T. Wright about the Lord's Prayer. And here's what he says. He says, the Lord's Prayer is not a loosely connected string of petitions. It's a prayer for people who are following Jesus on a kingdom journey. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, and I realize you may not be a follower of Jesus here tonight, and you're still trying to figure out the Jesus thing, what I want you to understand is, this is what people who follow Jesus, this is how we pray. This is how our leader is teaching us to pray and interact with God. And so if you're not sure about Jesus tonight, I'm glad you're here, because this is going to be incredible insight into some of the stuff that gives us the motivation to keep going even when it looks like our prayers aren't being answered. So here's the the first word, Father. Why does that matter? I realize that in a room this big, I'm pretty sure not all of us had good relationships with our Father. I realize that's not an emotionally neutral word. Okay? But here's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He says, I want you to pray. When you pray, you say, Father. And I wonder if in that moment their jaws didn't drop open. Because that's a relationship word, isn't it? That's an emotional word. That suddenly brings God very close. In fact, it brings him uncomfortably close for some of us. And Jesus said, when you talk to this Lord... This God that spoke the world into existence in six days? This God that said when there was nothing, said let there be light? And out of his mouth light began traveling at 186,000 miles per second faster than many of you go on I-35? Unless you're going through Austin, then it's just a beat down. That God... When you talk to the God that parted the waters so the Israelites could walk across on dry land, when you talk to the God that helped David slay a giant, when you talk to that God, you say, Father. And suddenly, Jesus eliminates all of the kind of class system and got to climb the ladder and God's way off and he's distanced and you got to reach for him. And there's some of you I know in this room that have never ever thought about calling God Father. I mean, you've heard it said. It's not your first time you've heard the idea. But to actually think of him as a close and good Father. And so Jesus, in this prayer, he says, when you talk to God, you're talking to Dad. And everything else in this prayer only makes sense if you start with that as your operating system, as your filter. Next word. Your. Your kingdom come. This is a declaration of God. It's about your kingdom. Now, many of you may think, well, I don't have a kingdom. Well, I grew up with two other brothers. Now, I'm the oldest, so I'm the best, okay? So, as the oldest, but we would go on family trips. And when we went on family trips, today there would be counseling afterwards. But, you know, we didn't do that back then. 
mom would pack us into the back seat of a Ford Londo, okay? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but it's just a one back seat. And so, how do you think we spent the trip? This is my part right here. If you touch, if your foot, if your shoestring, if your sleeve comes over this, I'm going to deck you. Okay? What was this? This is my kingdom right here. If you've ever done that, you've got a kingdom. You've got a sphere of influence that you're trying to control. For many of us, our home is kind of like a kingdom. We're trying to exert some type of control. Our world's our kingdom. We're trying to exert some type of control. And what we come before God and say, Father, your kingdom. Or maybe you can remember it this way. Thy kingdom before my kingdom. I'm going to be in submission. All of my hopes, all of my will, all of my dreams, all of my I really ought to, I really should, I think I need to. God, if it would just be this way. God, I'm going to put all of those desires. I'm not going to ignore that I have them, but I'm going to put them under your authority, under your command. And I'm going to willingly submit. And by the way, it's only submission if you really have to give something up. If it's just God granting all of my wishes all the time, I'm not submitting, right? I'm back to the vending machine. But I'm coming for God and say, it's about you. One of the prayers that I pray every Sunday, not because, not because I'm so good, okay, is because I need to be reminded of this every Sunday, so I pray, Lord, thy kingdom, not my kingdom, your glory, not my glory, when I stand up and preach. Because it's really easy, and this is my confession, and just please don't let it leave the room, okay? Is that I could really start to think I'm the star of the show. I could really start to think that it's about me. And so my prayer is, your kingdom before mine. Next one's this, next word I want you to write down is daily. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, we've got to step back into the mindset of the first people that ever heard these words. Because, remember, it's a group of Jewish peasants that are hearing this. This is all, all coming where the crowds are gathered around him, and most of the people in the crowd live day to day. Now, that may describe some of you. For me, I really have not waken up too many mornings wondering if I was going to eat. I've wondered where, which restaurant, you know, you know, is it a Chili's day or is it a McAllister's day or, you know, or am I going to go sports on Mexican food? Um, but I've never worried if. And he's talking to a group of people that really do wonder if they're going to eat today. And you see the kind of dependence that this is calling for? That every day, that which is going to get you through the day, you're saying, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to provide. Do you know what went through the minds of the first hearers that said this, that heard this? Because this daily bread, that sounds like one of their Bible stories, doesn't it? And they went all the way back into the story of the Exodus when God's people were being led out. And you understand that when they were led into the desert, and then they began to wander in the desert, and they wondered, how are they going to eat? God provides, and He provides a unique type of food he provides quail as far as meat, but every day they'd get this unique food. What was that called? Manna. 
And if you do the Greek, man, it translates to Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, it's really good, you know. So, that, so there's this manna that he's providing every day. And they were, but they were only supposed to keep how much of it? I mean, it's laying on the ground. They're told to go out and pick it up, put it in the pots, put it in the, in the, in the containers, but only keep what you're going to eat for what? One day. What's he doing? He's teaching them that you focus on just today and I'll provide for you tomorrow. And then guess what? You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to trust me all over again. Our daily bread. So my guess is, and for most of us, it's not actually about bread anymore, but it could be going one more day in a relationship that you're ready to give up on. It could be going one more day giving forgiveness to somebody that you don't want to give forgiveness to. It could be going one more day hoping that the prodigal is going to come home. And that somehow God's going to give you the strength to get out of the bed, take one more step, and remain faithful today. And see, so many of us, we want to go 5, 10, 15, 20 years out in the future, don't we? But all God's saying is, be faithful with me today. And we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Last word. I'm sorry, next to the last word. Forgive. He says, teach us to forgive. Um, forgive us our sins, for also we forgive everyone. Did I turn myself off? Okay. Um, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. I'm going to do this quickly. Anybody see the movie Unbroken? Louis um, Zamperini, I've always butchered the name. Uh, he was an Olympic runner, um, was probably going to be the first man to break the four-minute the, the four uh, four mile, and ends up being uh, recruited into the, uh, the Army Air Corps then, crashes in the Pacific Ocean, is, um, spends 45 days at sea, almost starves to death there, captured by the uh, Japanese, and then... Then his horrors began. And if you saw the movie that Angelina Jolie um, produced, that's a great movie, by the way. Here's the problem with the movie. It doesn't go far enough. If you're familiar with the movie, or more importantly, the story that's based on, at the hands of his captors, particularly one man that they nicknamed the bird, uh, Ken Watanabe was his name, he was just a sadistic, brutal guard. And he would beat the men for no reason. He would torture the men just for his joy. And so Louis endured some of the harshest, most unbelievable uh, situations for two years of his life. He's fine, the, the war's won and they're liberated. And Louis comes home and he begins to resume his life. And he gets married. He falls in love, gets married. But all these demons follow him. And he can't make the demons be quiet. He has nightmares every night, waking up in cold sweats and fits because he remembers what Watanabe did, did to him and how he'd singled him out and how, how brutal he was. So to medicate this, he turns to the bottle. And it begins a life of alcoholism at that point. And his wife threatens to leave him, says, I cannot go on with this anymore. And she's about to leave him, but she goes to a Billy Graham revival that's taking place in Los Angeles at the time. And these are the big classic tent revivals when Billy Graham was going strong with that. She goes and gives her life to Billy Graham and then begins to pray. I'm, not, I'm sorry. 
she does not give her life to Billy Graham. <laughs> Jesus, she gives her life to Jesus, and she begins to pray that her husband would come to know Jesus as well. And he doesn't want to have a thing to do with it. But she's relentless. And she keeps asking and asking. Finally, he agrees. He says, I'll give it one night. And he goes to the revival. And he hears something begins to change him. And he goes back. And he hears something begins to change him. And through the process of that, of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, he realizes not only does he need forgiveness, but more importantly, he needs to forgive. And when he comes to the point where he can forgive the captors and Watanabe, the bird, when he can forgive them, the nightmare stopped. And as you read his book, he tells you it's all due to what Jesus does. And when so, when Jesus tells us, you receive forgiveness, but you also forgive others, he's telling us how to live our lives in a way that we can be at peace. And we can forgive the last word I'll tell you about is lead. And lead us not into temptation. That's a strange phrase, I know, because you're like, okay, why is God leading me into temptation? You know, there was one time in the Bible when God led somebody into temptation. It's when he leads Jesus into the wilderness to face temptation. And that was not a pleasant experience for Jesus. So I wonder if when Jesus said, you pray this, okay? Because <laughs> you don't want that to happen. It's not, it's not about the temptation part. It's about the lead part. God, you lead us. You take us where we need to go. We're submitting once again. And so God gives us this, or Jesus teaches his disciples to pray with this way, and then we have this story. Now I'm going to hit this. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of the friendship, yet because of your, and here's the word I want you to pay attention to, shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay, this is a strange story. Because it sounds like God is nothing more than an annoyed guy in bed, right? And you're trying to figure out, Jesus, what's the story? One of the things going on in the story that we don't pick up as readily is because the friend, he's got a problem, right? The, the, one, come, the one actually knocking on the door, what's his problem? Somebody else has shown up at his house, and the rules of hospitality say you take care of people that show up at your house. See, this is before they had hotels and everything else. And if you were traveling, the last thing you wanted to be was outside the town on the road at night. Okay, if you remember the Sodom and Gomorrah story, you did not want to be in the middle of the town without protection exposed to the elements and to the, whoever was out there, you wanted to be somewhere. And so the rules of hospitality were if somebody came knocking on your door, you gave them hospitality. So the friend that is knocking on the door now, he's not really asking on his own behalf, is he? He is an intercessory asking on the behalf of another. That's the only reason he's at the door. And so Jesus doesn't want us to get caught up in 
and what the motivation of the guy getting out of the bed was, he's saying, you have this shameless audacity that is the same thing you would have if somebody came to your house at night saying, I need hospitality. You would do what it takes to make it happen. And you would go knock on the door. You would disregard your own pride. You would disregard your own inconvenience. You would disregard your own self-awareness that, hey, I don't want to bother somebody or seem rude. You would be knocking on the door on behalf of someone else. So, you see how that changes this parable? It's not about me praying for everything I want. It's about me being an intercessory on behalf of someone else. So, well, I love this word, shameless, and so I'm just going to end here. I love that it says, you be shameless. And I think the only good illustration of shameless is I've got to go to my kids. Following school, when they're in school, there's a Sefco, one of these 7-Eleven type places down the street from where, where they're in school, and they love um, the oh-so-healthy icy drinks, the slurpy drinks, you know, they come with like Dr. Pepper flavored or Coca-Cola flavored or cherry flavored or pink. So, I mean, they got all kinds of flavors. These things are nothing but sugar frozen, okay? That's what these are, and they're so good, okay? <laughs> but because I'm a good parent, I don't want them to have it all the time, okay? But they don't know that, and they don't care about that. So what do they do? They will ask me shamelessly, repetitively, all the time, can we have a Slurpee? No. 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 Is this just my kids or does anybody else relate to this story? Okay. They're shameless in it. And you know what happens some of the time? We're drinking Slurpees. <laughs> After about the fourth no. Now, that may say something lousy about my parenting, but it says everything about their willingness to ask. Are we willing to go to our Heavenly Father on behalf of another, shamelessly, and pray. Throw up the last one. Are you willing to engage in shameless prayer? Does anybody think our world needs prayer right now? Do I really have to make that case? Are we willing to be shameless askers, shameless prayerers, for marriages? Are we willing to be shameless prayerers for race reconciliation in our world? Are we willing to be shameless prayerers for the sex trafficking that goes on in our world? Over and against the pornography industry that goes on in our world? Are we willing to be shamelessly praying for our schools? By the way, I I don't care when Congress voted prayer out of school. It never voted us to stop praying for our schools. Are we willing to be shameless prayers for whoever sits in the Oval Office regardless of whether you voted for them or not? See, I believe passionately that what happens in the church house far, is far more important than what happens in the White House. Are we willing to be shameless prayers for all these things, for our churches to be strong and healthy and to glorify Jesus in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our state, in our world. Or we want us to knock 
and knock and knock and knock at the door of heaven for that. Because God doesn't ignore our prayers. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's invited us into this relationship that says, you say, Father, and then you submit yourself up under Him and allow Him to lead you and trust He's going to provide and then stand back and watch what He does. I'm going to steal this and then close. Rick actually shared one time, and he, Rick actually preaches up in Fort Worth if you know who that is, but... He shared one time, he said, I have got a recurring nightmare. He says, my nightmare is that I go to heaven and God shows me these volumes and volumes and volumes of books in a library that says the life and times and the history of my church. And in this, as I look in these volumes, there's all kinds of incredible ministries and missionaries and reconciliations and redemptions and victories in the name of Jesus. And they just go on and on and on and it's three rows deep and it's shelves high and it goes back as far as you can see. He says, the problem is that I, I don't recall any of that actually happening in the life of my church. He says, God says, oh no, this is what I wanted to do for you. But you never asked. He says, well, where's the things that we prayed about? He goes, well, that's over in periodicals. Are we willing to be shameless for our families, for our church families, for those that don't believe yet, for our country, for our world? That's what it means to be on the kingdom journey. Let me pray for you. Father, I confess that I have to preach on things that I'm not very good at doing. And so I'm just going to confess that prayer is one of them. So I come before you now as our Father, one that draws us in close, and I ask for you to do what you will do. I ask for your kingdom to come. I ask for us that we would be courageous in creating your kingdom here on earth, that the MacArthur Park Church would be courageous in creating the kingdom here and being a light that shines. That you would change us as you lead us. That you would give us the courage to trust you each day to provide. And to trust and to hope and to keep moving forward as you lead us into the future. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for its marriages. I pray for its leaders. I pray for the ones that are, it's going to reach Jesus for this next year, and we don't even know the names yet. But I pray for the ones that attend to the nursery, the ones that teach the Bible class, the ones that will clean up the cookies that we shared tonight, all as a faithful offering and ministry to you. Father, may you forever be the one that hears us knock and you respond. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And together we say, Amen. Thank you very much.